remind the fans, if you had to write like an intro paragraph to your Wikipedia page, what would it be? Uh, I guess the way they all start, it would say something like, Doug Plagans is a North American sportscaster or something like that. Just kidding. I, I would say, uh, I would say, I would probably call myself Doug Plagans, a veteran broadcaster who has uh, primarily worked in hockey for the last 14 years and uh, has, you know, really just loved every second of it. Monsters fans, welcome back to another edition of the Monsters I View podcast. We are presented by our friends at PropSwap. More on them in a moment, but a great episode today. Happy to be joined as always by Nicole Del Villano. And uh, Nicole, Monsters got back into action last weekend after a crazy break. I mean, who can remember a time in which you could have 21 unplanned days off in the middle of the year? Uh, but the Monsters endured that, got back to work on the road last weekend. But uh, man, it was great just to see hockey being played again. It seems like it had been forever. Right. It was a long time. Felt like a long break, especially like you were saying, just in the middle of the season, we weren't expecting it. So it was nice to get back on the ice and sort of get back to what the season's supposed to feel like. So when the Monsters last Friday were in Milwaukee, it was just the second game for the team in 27 calendar days, but they played pretty well. Uh, it was an overtime loss against the Admirals by a final score of four to three. Uh, but Cleveland certainly um, was excited to see what Cam Johnson could bring to the table in net. It was his first appearance for the club. He's had a little AHL experience in his career, but uh, on assignment from the Blue Jackets, he's played the entire season in the ECHL with the Florida Everblades. So that was great to see him uh, get his first crack with the Monsters and play well. Then Cleveland uh, sort of parlayed that effort, that standings point into a win the following night in overtime. Are you sensing a theme here? Yet another overtime game. The Monsters lead the league with 12 of those this year. Um, but in Grand Rapids, which is always a tough place to play, Monsters came away with a 2-1 victory, got a game tying goal from Brett Gallant and then got a game winning goal just 14 seconds into overtime from who else but Trey Fix Wolanski and Nicole I know we've seen him uh, over his time with the Monsters just uh, have a real willingness not just to shoot the puck but to be the guy in those big moments that sort of puts the team on his back and it was another great example of that uh, wasted no time just 15 seconds into OT but that's kind of what Trey does yeah and you know it's uh, not just for us but for everyone we're starting to get back into these are our first games in so many days so we're starting to get back into like the taxi squad and the movement. And I think it just speaks to how deep our team is with goaltending and forwards, defensemen, everybody that still able to take away some points out of this weekend, you know, as we're continuing to navigate all of this. Yeah, definitely. The roster movement is like a huge theme right now, a huge storyline in the AHL. There have been, if you look across the league, just hundreds upon hundreds of transactions over the course of the past two, three, four weeks here as uh, the Omicron variant throws a wrench into the American League season and the National League season. Of course, all those things were interconnected. It was interesting uh, the, the day after the game in uh, Grand Rapids, the Monsters went back uh, west to Chicago. First look at the Chicago Wolves and, uh, you know, the, the position that's really hit the hardest at every level of hockey right now is goaltending. I mean, it's just hard to find goaltenders on short notice. It always is for AHL general managers, but in this situation, ECHL rosters are totally depleted. And a great example of that was the Chicago Wolves goaltending situation. By the time, you know, we were getting the notes updated, six goaltenders were on their roster because they were dealing with a couple of injuries and, and uh, so so they had some names that took a little research to figure out but Monsters played well against Chicago Wolves one of the best teams in the entire league this year they're leading the Western Conference thereby leading the Central Division but dealing with those goaltending issues the Monsters gave them a good good uh, effort there but 
Cleveland fell by a final of four to three. So after that three and three weekend, the Monsters are now 11, nine, four and three. We'll see what happens this week in advance of a return trip out to Illinois this weekend for the Monsters to play Rockford. But right around, you know, fourth, fifth place in the North Division standings right now. Uh, but honestly, all in all, Nicole, just in general terms, I thought the team played pretty darn well, you know, and, and especially with that layoff, uh, overcame things pretty nicely last weekend and sets the table for first games of the year against Rockford coming up. Yeah, it'll definitely be nice to sort of get back into the schedule. They've been playing well. Like you said, I mean, can't ask for anything, anything more after 20, 27 days of not playing and them having to just navigate through that, but hoping to get back to a bit more normal of a month and have some rescheduled games in there too. Yep. Three and three results in three out of six points in the standings. Not too shabby on a tough road trip with a lot of miles logged there. And a lot of, uh, you know, as, as Trent Vogelhuber told me during the weekend, there's a lot of opportunity in that situation. Make excuses uh, all the time on the bus and all the time away, you know, with the layoff, but the team made none of those and, and played really well. So excited to uh, get back at it this weekend at Rockford. Let's transition though. Talk about our guest today on the podcast. I think longtime monster fans are going to be really excited to hear from uh face from the past for monster fans. And that was uh, my predecessor as the voice of the monsters. Now the radio voice of the NHL's Florida Panthers, one and only Doug Plagans, a really entertaining conversation. I'm excited for people to hear this. We touched on a whole lot of stuff, some hockey, but a lot of non-hockey things too. Doug's got a lot of opinions on stuff. He has a lot of thoughts and feelings. It was very interesting to get to hear all of them. And, you know, I feel like we say it every week that we just, every guest is great, but um, this is definitely one of my favorite conversations. Like you said, it's nice uh, sort of taking a break from hockey and getting to know some of these people, what they like and what they have strong feelings about outside of the rink. Looking forward to that. So just in a couple of seconds here, we'll get to Doug Plagans, but want to remind you that the Monsters Eye View podcast is presented by our friends at PropSwap. PropSwap is where America buys and sells sports bets. The football playoffs are here and prop swappers are cashing in. You can always find the best odds on PropSwap because you're buying directly from other bettors. PropSwap has fantastic features like filtering tickets based on the best value, a free activity feed to stay in the know with all the big sales, a loyalty rewards program that turns your sales into extra bonus cash, and much more. Go to PropSwap.com or download the free PropSwap app today. All right, without further ado, get right to our conversation with Doug Plagans. Uh, great stuff here from the former voice of the Monsters doing an excellent job down uh, with the NHL's Florida Panthers, a team that's having an excellent year. So uh, up next on the Monsters Eye View podcast presented by PropSwap, stay with us, folks. Doug Plagans joins us for episode number seven. Enjoy it, everybody. It's the Monsters Eye View podcast with Nicole Delbolano. I'm Tony Brown. We're presented by PropSwap. everyone the monsters i view podcast it's presented as always by our friends at prop swap alongside nicole delvolano tony brown here with you and we are very excited to welcome to the show the seventh episode uh lucky number seven here my predecessor is the voice of the monsters back then of course the lake erie monsters but the spectacular broadcast voice of the Florida Panthers. Doug Plagans is with us. Doug, welcome. Thanks for having me very much, Tony Nicole. Uh, this is something that as soon as it was brought to my attention, I knew I couldn't wait to get on here and uh, be able to chat back with uh, the folks in Cleveland. So uh, yeah, thanks again for having me. Oh, it's great stuff, man. Appreciate you making the time. Well, let's just start with your current uh, position with the Florida Panthers. Of course, having a fantastic season down there in South Florida are the Panthers. But right now in the hockey world, uh, it seems like almost every team is dealing with 
with some sort of impact. Uh, certainly the monsters are, are no exception to that uh, in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic. So just how, how are the Panthers hanging in there? How are you guys navigating this uh, this time right now, which is kind of uh, uncertain sometimes? Yeah, as you know, it's something there, there's not a manual for, for how to handle it. And, uh, you know, we've all kind of just realized from the very start of this whole thing and, you know, our, our hockey staff, our business staff, everybody's kind of had the same mindset. You have to be nimble. You have to be willing to adapt. You have to be able to, you know, if, if there are some curveballs that are thrown your way, you just have to be able to find the, the best course of action to navigate through it. And the Panthers were, they were hit pretty hard. Uh, if you go back a couple of weeks, right before the Christmas break, uh, they ended up having a few games postponed. Uh, we had at one point going into that, you know, that break and, and pause, brief pause that the league took. We had seven guys in the, in COVID protocol going into that. Um, but at the same time, the Panthers, because they had the guys in the COVID protocol that came back, had some guys that were injured, actual injuries, uh, you know, not COVID related things that had a chance to mend a little bit. And then coming out of it, the Panthers knock on wood have been really the healthiest that they've been all season, uh, you know, since the, the team came out of the pause. So I think it's something that we've, we've seen a number of teams have to deal with it. I'm sure over the course of the season, uh, everybody is going to be affected by it in some way, shape or form. It's just uh, how you, how you manage to navigate through it. And I think uh, as a, as a team here and, uh, and as a league, I think everybody's doing a pretty good job adapting on the fly and, uh, and being able to, to make those changes as they see fit to, to be able to come out of it, uh, you know, uh, on the positive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let, let's talk a little on the ice now. I mean, of course, uh, you said it, it's a dream job, right? To be able to call hockey games for a living. Uh, anyone in our line of work just really appreciates that, but it's more fun. We would all have to admit when the team is doing really well, and the Panthers are having an amazing season. Mm-hmm. So uh, how much fun are you guys having down there chronicling uh, this campaign? Yeah, it's been, it's been outstanding. This team's one of the most exciting teams in the National Hockey League. And in the time that I've been here as well, it, when I got here 15, 16, 16 was my first year, which obviously was your first year there uh, in Cleveland, but 15, 16, my first year, time flies by. But over the course of the time that I've been here, I've had the privilege of watching Alexander Barkov, Jonathan Huberto, and uh, and Aaron Ekblad, just to name a few. And there have been other guys that have come out along the way, but those guys were here when I got here. And I've been able to see them really go from young stars to then you had Barkov who carried that, uh, that tag of, you know, most underrated player in the NHL for a while. And, you know, people in hockey circles and we knew how great he was but uh, he kind of had that underrated tag attached to his name for a while and then eventually all three of those guys have just uh, you know been cemented as bona fide superstars so I've had the chance to see that evolution and now this season I mean they're they're the anchors they're the cornerstones of this team and Bill Zito who you guys know very well there he's uh, you know he's made a lot of great moves added a lot of key parts to the fold and you know every every move he's made has really been a home run here whether it was his very first move bringing in Pat for Cornquist, who has a, a championship pedigree and uh, just brought a lot of those intangibles to the team, um, you know, to bring in guys like Sam Bennett and Brandon Montour and Sam Reinhardt and just, you know, go right down the list along the way. It's been amazing to watch just the work he's done with the roster. This is one of the deepest teams in the National Hockey League. We knew it coming into the year and uh, and they're showing it. It's going to be a heck of a race with Tampa Bay and Toronto for that Atlantic Division crown, uh, you know, going the rest of the way this season. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun to watch certain individual players 
progress and become stars, but to also watch this team, uh, you know, climb the ladder and now find itself as a contender. And I think they're going to be a contender for a number of years to come. That's super exciting. You get to watch a lot. So you sort of uh, mentioned it a little, but just for our awareness, like what was your path to get there? Obviously we know your last two steps between Cleveland and there, but just what got you into hockey and where were your stops before that? Yeah. Well, growing up, uh, some of the earliest memories I have, I grew up in uh, the Detroit area. So some of the earliest memories I have are of Red Wing games on TV, Dave Strader and Mickey Redmond doing Red Wings TV, you know, back in the, in the late eighties, you know, some of my earliest memories. So growing up in an area where hockey was, you know, the, the top sport essentially, and especially in the nineties, growing up a Red Wings fan in the nineties, it was a great time to be a Red Wings fan. And uh, we were really spoiled there being able to watch so many hall of famers over the years. So, you know, I, those were the teams that really helped develop my love for the sport. Uh, you know, growing up in a, in a market like that, an original six market and going to games at the Joe and seeing so many great hall of famers, uh, you know, it was hockey just became kind of part of my blood. And, um, and then as time went on, uh, I took an interest in the broadcasting side of things. And when I went to college, uh, started doing games on our campus station, Lake Forest College, small school uh, just outside Chicago. And uh, then I went to Syracuse for the master's program there, interned for the Syracuse Crunch while I was there and was interned for Bob McElligot, who is now the radio voice of the Blue Jackets and has been for a long time. And he's been one of the most important, you know, friends, mentors in the business that I could have had. I basically shadowed him for a season. And, you know, obviously we're still in touch to this day and it's great to still see him on the NHL circuit, uh, you know, a couple times a season. But uh, from there, I went to the Idaho Steelheads in the ECHL. That was my first pro hockey job. A little bit of time as a TV sports anchor, actually, as a matter of fact, in uh, in Youngstown, Ohio, and then had the opportunity with the Monsters come up. And that was one that I just couldn't pass up. And I went there, and as I said right off the top here, I just loved every second of that and knew that, you know, if I wasn't in the National Hockey League, as far as I was concerned, I was in the in the best place I could have been uh, there in Cleveland with, with all the great people there. So did the four seasons there, and it was something that happened very quickly when I ended up coming to the Panthers, but I was actually on the sidelines of a Cleveland Gladiators practice out at the uh, facility in Lorraine. And I remember it was like ramping up to one of the playoff games uh, would have been in 2015. And I was on the sidelines and there was a lull in the action. So naturally I just started scrolling Twitter and I saw that Randy Moeller, who's now on the Panthers television broadcast, he had been the radio broadcaster for eight years. I saw that he was moving from radio over to TV. So naturally, and Tony can attest to this, when you see something like that happen, the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, I wonder if they're going to post the radio job later on. Well, sure enough, by the time I got home, they posted the radio job. So we're talking, you know, at that point in time, I mean, it's already August. Uh, so we're getting pretty late in the off season. They posted the job and like anybody would do, I sent off my materials. And that's something I tell anybody, like, if you work in this business, you want to have your demo refreshed because you never know when you might have to send it someplace. And I sent my stuff off and, you know, got a call back. And that was the beginning of it. There was a series of calls. The process moved pretty quickly. And by the time Labor Day came around, I was already in Florida. Uh, that was the day actually that I pulled into Florida was uh, Labor Day 2015. So it was a pretty quick process, but the Panthers were, you know, they had to get somebody in here quickly and just one of those, you know, one thing led to another. And then here I was. And then uh, Tony went to Cleveland. I was going to say, man, I mean, you know, it, it's in this <laughs> business, the dominoes fall, right? I mean, I had a similar experience. Uh, I saw that you had gotten a job down in Florida and uh, I'm sitting there in my office in Indianapolis with the Indy Fuel and like uh, I start guessing emails of who to send this stuff to and uh, 
a couple of days later, I get a call from the great Dave Dombrowski mm-hmm. and uh, the rest is history, man. So very happy for you to, to get that chance and, and selfishly thrilled that you went down there because as you said, Cleveland is uh, just unmatched. It, it's an amazing place to be. And I uh, just feel so lucky to be able to call, uh, you know, this city and this organization home, as I'm sure you felt the same way when you were. No here. question. Uh, let me ask you about your time in Cleveland. Let's go back, man. I mean, I can think of a few super memorable things that happened during your time with the Monsters but when you think of your favorite calls, your favorite moments, maybe your favorite players, just give us a sense of some of the things that when you think about your time with the then Lake Erie Monsters, what what just pops into your head right away? The first thing I think of is, and you guys might think the same thing, you work in this business long enough, you see it, we're very lucky. We see a lot of games. We, you know, we see a lot of things happen actually, you know, between the whistles and, and actually on the ice, on the field, whatever the sport is. If somebody asks me about my time, the first thing that comes to mind are the people, whether it's, you already mentioned Dave Dombrowski or Scott Zarilla or Joe Fritchin, or you go right down the list, Ben Adams, who I, you know, talked to uh, earlier this morning and some of the other great people that I worked there with, whether it was Jeff Elston or Ben Harrison or Jock Callender or on the hockey side. I mean, I think of the first people I think of are Dean Chenoweth, who was the coach there for three of the four years that I was there. Or David Quinn, who was the first coach I had there. David Oliver, obviously, who was there for a long time back during the Avalanche affiliation and the players like I still I still see Calvin Pickard around. And, you know, Tyson Berry, guys like that. And, you know, the guys that I was there for a long time with, whether it was Andrew Agazzino or Dan Maggio, those kind of players, those are the guys that pop into my mind. Pam Frasco, obviously, was, you know, important to my career. And, like, there's just so many great people that you came in contact with. And I know I've just scratched the surface because there's so many talented people, whether it was on the hockey side or the business side uh, that I had a chance to work with. But the people are the first thing that come to mind. A lot of people who work in this industry would probably say the same thing. We see a lot of the games. You know, Tony, you were there. For a, for a Calder Cup, all of that kind of thing. You, you, you remember the great games and you remember the great on-ice performances and, and those obviously are memorable. That one Gladiator season uh, when the team lost just the one game in the in the uh, regular season and went to the Arena Bowl. I mean, things that season that you just can't make up that uh, that happened for that team. But it's it's all the people. And, and even on the Gladiator side, I mean, I know I went there as a, as a hockey guy first and, you know, hockey broadcasting was always my dream. But when the company acquired the gladiators and Dave Dombrowski was like, Hey, you know, is this something you'd be, you'd be interested in down the road? And, and I, I said, absolutely. And some of the, the great people that I had a chance to work with uh, in that league, you know, some of the, the great players and cool places that I got to go. And, you know, people, people like Dominic Goodman, the first player that comes to mind, a uh, great receiver that the gladiators had and just an all around great guy and Theron Lewis and those kind of guys, the people are the first thing that you think of. So, you know, sort of thinking back even into that, time you mentioned Syracuse was one of the places where you started Mm -hmm. and knowing that how unique that rink is I'm from Binghamton originally so Syracuse is always close by but um so how unique that rink is especially to call a game there so just from your time in the AHL what are some of the road trips that really like sort of maybe stand out for you that you remember AHL road trips I mean Chicago obviously one of the first places that come to mind just because I I went to school in the area and I always really looked forward to going there and and the Wolves always have a, a cool environment at their games so and they were always good games it felt like so that was always uh always fun to go there but um you, you know you i love the goalie goal in chicago did you not i huh? called the goal yes and oddly enough so a uh, little sidetrack on that one so it was yeah we had red obera came to the monsters on a conditioning assignment in uh the 14-15 season it was january 2015 and he came on a conditioning assignment played all three games in a three game and in, in a three and three on the road but the friday night game in chicago i remember it was late in the game 
game. I think it was 3-1. Magnus Payarvi dumped a puck in for Chicago. They, you know, they were down by a couple of goals. He dumps the puck in right on net and right into Reddo's pads. And you could tell immediately he's thinking one thing and he just let it rip. And it was dead center. It was, it's still, I've called over a thousand pro hockey games. That is the only goalie goal that I've ever seen. Could very well be the only one uh, that I ever see. And then Reddo did the celebration, you know, ran the bench and almost caused a melee out at center ice. Media, media wanted to talk to him after the game. And I remember I went down there, I'm like, Reddo, because he was such a good guy. And oddly enough, ended up coming to the Panthers for a little bit, uh, a couple of seasons later. But he was such a good guy. Went down to the locker room. I'm like, Reddo, there's some reporters out there who want to talk to you. And like, you know, like this was a big deal that just took place. It got on Sports Center. But yeah, I saw the, called the goalie goal. So that was, that was exciting. As far as AHL road trips, I love the Rico Coliseum. I used to really enjoy going. Yeah, I used to love going. Or it's not the Rico Coliseum anymore. In now Toronto. the Coca-Cola Coliseum. Now the Coca-Cola Coliseum. I loved going there. And, you know, we we played there a lot. Uh, so that was that was a fun place to go. I loved going to Grand Rapids. You know, always enjoyed going to Hamilton. And then, in, you know, if you got lucky and you'd get the trip down to San Antonio in January or something, you get a little break from the cold. So that was always welcome. You know, Charlotte was fun. And when I was there, the beginning of my time, the first two seasons, you could go down there and do a loop in the Texas. Oklahoma City was still in the league and Houston still had the team there. And obviously you had the Texas Stars and you had uh, San Antonio and uh, you'd go down there and do the do the loop down there. So that was always that was always fun. I predated the uh, AHL West, if you will. I didn't get to experience that. So it's I, I, I experienced those locations in the ECHL during my time, but uh, didn't didn't get to experience the new what everybody knows is the uh, AHL Pacific Division. What but, a throwback uh, yeah, with all the teams there thinking about it. My first season was 13-14, so you're naming some of them, and I was like, oh, yeah, I forget. Like, you know, yeah. how much everything's changed since they've expanded out west and everything, too. Yeah, there were oh, some there were some really cool trips, uh, and it was it was just a lot of fun all the time. I loved going to Hershey. We didn't go there very much. I think we only went there my first two seasons for one game each season, but that was always a, a fun place to go. So, yeah, there, there were a lot of cool road trips. We're talking here with Doug Plagans, the broadcast voice on the radio side for the Florida Panthers, former Monsters uh, voice, and uh, it's the Monsters Eye View podcast presented by PropSwap. PropSwap is where America buys and sells sports bets. The football playoffs are here, and PropSwappers are cashing in. Find the best odds on PropSwap when you buy directly from other bettors. Go to PropSwap.com or download the free PropSwap app today. Doug, wanted to transition to Twitter. Uh, of course, you are very active on Twitter, at Doug Plagans, a very entertaining follow. You're covering a lot of ground on there. So let's talk about how the interaction with the fans through Twitter, which I know dates back to your days in Cleveland, uh, has has sort of been a source of, of fun and sort of weaved in a couple of things, uh, you know, outside of the game of hockey, you know, with your coverage of the team. Seems like Twitter's uh, been, been something you've utilized to great effect in your career. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. That's one of those things I'm, I'm always trying to try new things or trying to just evolve the way I use it because I think that social media as a whole, it's still a relatively new medium, I guess, media. We're all, I think, working still in a phase where we're all working to see what works best, uh, you know, what's better than other methods. But it's interesting because in the time that I've been doing this professionally, my first job, my first, when I went to Idaho, that was the 08-09 season. I think it was my second season, 09-10, I started getting, you know, one of my in-game reads that I would do, our marketing guy would send me over reads and you know that's what I would drop in during the game some of the internal team messaging and one of them was to follow the Idaho Steelheads on Twitter I'm like what is this I, I that was the first I heard of it was I'm doing a read for it and I'm it's like it's like hey tweeps 
follow the steelheads on Twitter. And I had no idea what I was saying or what this was. So naturally I started to do a little more, a little digging because I didn't know what this platform really was. And I remember, I think like a lot of people in that era, I held out and like, you know, I'm not going to get on there yet. I'm not going to get on. Then I caved. It was like 2010. And you, when you log on to your bio, it says like joined, I think it was June, 2010. You know, I eventually gave in, hopped on Twitter. And in the beginning didn't really, you know, it was like, I'm like, Oh, this is Facebook, but just with statuses. That was how I kind of looked at it back when you first started it was like Facebook but with not without any information just with status so started just kind of tinkering with it and when I was in Idaho I took emails during the second intermission of every game so that was the way that people could interact I remember I had you know had an email address made that would that I would be able to access during games as the Twitter became you know, more widely used. When I went to the monsters, I did take emails and I kept that open through the whole thing. And there were some devout email, uh, you know, emailers during games, but a vast majority of the traffic moved over to Twitter as far as the interaction during games. And I always like to give the fans the chance to, even if all we're doing is giving a shout out, doing a little bit of a roll call. Oh, we got so-and-so's tuned in and so-and-so's tuned in. Like, I think it's, it's cool for the listeners to be able to interact with the broadcast like that. It's cool for us to be able to go through. And yeah, I mean, especially now like I go through and every game I mean we've got regulars we've got somebody overseas in Scotland who's a regular listener we've got somebody in California who are regular listeners it's it's really cool for the broadcast it's really cool for the listeners and uh, I think as time goes on there's going to be more and more ways that we can utilize that but I, I think it's cool too I see Tony that you guys uh, do a lot in game with it as well so I, I think it's something that as the as the world has gone on as you know too we're just from a job description perspective we're not just radio broadcasters anymore i mean that's a big part of it it's arguably the biggest part of it it you know that's what our job is but there's a lot of uh you know you almost have to be on the air uh quote unquote if you will on a lot of different platforms really at all times and i think if you're uh, if you're not utilizing social media in some way during a game you're you're missing the boat a little bit so let's talk about some of the things that you might learn about doug plagans if you follow at doug plagans on twitter Number one, we're both huge music guys. I think we're in a few different columns here. I'm more of like a jam band type guy. Give me uh, sort of, and give the fans a little bit here uh, and the listeners a little sense of what you're into because I know you're passionate about the music you like. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a ska, punk rock, heavy metal guy, um, you know, and, and that's kind of gone beyond just the, so basically if you took like any warp Tour lineup from like 1999 to 2009 and just took whatever the, the 15 most notice, notable bands were on that list, like that's probably what my playlist looks like on any given day to this day. So at the core, the core of the Doug Plagans genre would be like Pennywise and Offspring and No Effects and Bad Religion and Bouncing Souls and Rancid and, and all that kind of stuff. So I actually went in my life, it's a, it's a fun fact, obviously I'd go to more than one a year to be able to get the number to this total, but uh, I went to 34 Vans Warp Tour dates in my life. Wow. So yeah, so that's uh, that was my thing. Um, you know, less, less than Jake. Zebra head, some 41, like those are, that's my wheelhouse. And then as time went on, I got a lot into, I got into a lot of the heavier stuff too. Like my tastes have gotten heavier as I've gotten older. I think for some people that might go the other way, like they just might get softer as they get older. I remember like in the mid two thousands, I listened to like Atreyu and Avenged Sevenfold and that stuff got me going down the metal road. So now like, you know, as I've got, I've gone back in time and a lot of my, I'm into a lot of like, you know, metal and hardcore stuff, a lot of stuff that's heavier as, uh, as time goes goes on so you know I, i'm friends with the, the drummer and kill switch engage he lives down here in florida he's actually a big panthers fan that's how we met that's another band 
that has been uh, one of my favorites over the years. Yeah, lots of lots of cool stuff like that. But that's my wheelhouse. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that the world's getting back to, that live events are getting back to coming back in full force here because that's what my summers used to be planned around. Was this weekend, I'm going to travel to this festival. And then this weekend, I'm going to travel to this show. And that was just how I spent a lot of my free time. So while we were all locked down for like 14 months, I didn't go to a show. And that felt, that was one of the weirdest feeling things. Like when I finally went to my first concert after the world had kind of opened back up again, it just dawned on me like, wow, I, I have never, since I started going to shows, I've never gone that long without going to a show. Just, you know, it was good to get back to one. And I got to say 30 plus work tour dates. That's an achievement. I'm not even going to tell you how many fish shows I've been to, uh, but we, let, let's, one move of those guys. <laughs> let's move along. Let's move along. Uh, in addition to the music stuff, big fast food aficionado. You're a guy that's in pretty good shape. People wouldn't expect that you're into fast food, but I know you are a connoisseur among connoisseurs. Yeah, I, I, I make conscious decisions, but uh, you know, <laughs> I, I like to I like to enjoy the regional favorites. That's one of my favorite things of traveling, whether it's traveling recreationally or traveling for work. I like to go to places that are I like to go to the quick serve places of the area. There, there are the places that are across the country, and those are fine. But that's usually how I would make my decision. Like, oh, if I can go to that at home, I'm not going to go to it when I'm, you know, out of town. So I like to sample the the food of the area, and uh, you know, In and Out Burger, one of my favorites. Yes. I always, you know, if I, I I always know if I'm planning a trip, if I've got a work trip planned, that's the one of the first thing that comes to mind is is that an In and Out Burger region or is that not an In and Out Burger region? That's a lot of how I how I plan my travel is if I can go to In and Out Burger. But uh, that's you know just stuff like that. I like to sample the food of the area. And uh, I look at that as one of the perks of being able to, to travel and see a lot of places to be able to, to dine where the locals dine, if you will. Yeah. And I know, Nicole, you got a question, but one more follow up on that. I also, from your Twitter account, have learned that you are very vehemently anti soup. Don't do what soup. What is this yeah. about? What is this yeah. about? Bad incident, winter 96. Ah. Uh, the really the only way to elaborate is past trauma. I, I yeah. think everybody everybody can see where I'm coming from with this. It's it was the last thing I I wasn't really into it anyways. I was like a picky eater when I was a kid. I was just kind of getting into soup. Then it was the last thing I ate before a bad onset of the flu. So it just has a really negative association. Then as time's gone on, I've gone on to take on the stance of well, I just don't want my food floating in hot water. So that's uh that's kind of how I how I back up my stance to this day. But yeah, winter 96. So late in the 1996 calendar year. This is like a deep-seated sort of feeling, man. I mean, this goes way, way back. I mean, you, yeah. you have been anti-soup for as long as some people, some of our listeners have memories. That's and I've been, uh, been defending myself against the, the pro-supers for a long time. There's a lot of the, a lot of the soup fans that uh, that really want to get me to have soup, and I have to I have to continue to hold the line, if you will. Nicole, how do you feel about soup? Um, I Broadly. well now I'm like rethinking my decisions after hearing this. Especially, I don't want my food sitting in hot water. That was definitely <laughs> the way you said that. I was like, oh, that I hear it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, I think it's a, I think it's a versatile. It's a versatile category. I mean, soup can be a lot of different things. Mm. I don't think I'm anti-soup, personally. Uh, you know, maybe not strongly pro-soup, but I don't think I'm anti-soup. Uh, and I can sit at a table with 10 people eating soup, and it's not going to, like, I'm not going to have to leave or anything like that. Okay, all just right. A, just a, you know, it's just a decision that I make for myself. Personal choice. All right. We're talking right. here with Florida Panthers voice and the former Monsters uh, voice, Doug Plagans, here on the Monsters Eye View podcast. 
Sorry, Nicole, I've interrupted you about 16 times already. Go ahead. No, it's fine. Uh, we had another little tip off. Something you're passionate about is uh, baseball cards. Ben yeah, Adams yes. gave us that one. Yeah, it's uh, that's something I got into when I was like, I was like four years old. And uh, I remember I wanted a, I wanted some baseball cards and my grandma bought me the old cello packs. And when I say cello, I mean the ones that are kind of that cellophane wrap and that you could see the front card and the back card on the pack. It was a clear plastic wrapping. I remember my grandma got me a cello pack of 1989 Topps baseball. And that was kind of the beginning of it for me. So I was four years old and uh, that was where it started. I was really into cards and memorabilia for a long time. Like a lot of people, life happened, got into the workforce, you know, just different, different things started to take precedence. So I kind of drifted a little bit and then went back to it, uh, you know, as, as time went on. So yeah, it's, it's something that I've been into for a long time. I just, uh, I've always just had a, had a fascination for, for it, uh, whether it's my cards or just looking at cards. I still like to keep up with what's new out there. I still find myself, even as I love the new stuff, it's, they, they do such a great job making stuff now, but I still find myself going back to the classics and, you know, maybe, maybe getting that card that, you know, when I was, when I was a little kid, I wanted, but, and I didn't have the money for it, but now as a working adult, uh, you know, I can, I can make those kind of decisions with my discretionary income and maybe go and get the card that I couldn't get when I was a little kid or something like that. So, so I find myself, Still going back to the classics, but I just think it's, I think it's kind of like a modern art form in a way. Um, you know, I, I, I think and a lot of people have said this, I think, you know, way back in the early 20th century, a lot of your, you know, a lot of people would display fine art. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff like that. I think, I think it wouldn't surprise me one bit if, you know, 50 years from now, people had their LeBron rookie card and their Kobe rookie card on their, on their mantle, on their wall displayed as art. I think that's where we could be heading with all of it down the road. So, uh, so I just think that's, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating world. It's, I love the fact that it's, you know, it's gotten quote unquote cool again. Uh, you know, it kind of got, came back into the mainstream and, uh, I think it's, I think it's going to stay. It's kind of an extension of fantasy sports. Sports and you know, there's a number of different ways you can collect. I think that's the biggest thing. I tell people this all the time. The best thing about it is you can collect the way you want to collect. Buy what you like. You know, you never lose if you do that. So you can you can collect any way you want. Doesn't matter if you are a multi-millionaire or if you just like to throw 10, 20 bucks at it every month. There's something for you to collect. There's something you can find that you can enjoy. And I think that's what's really cool about it. What's the card in your collection that you would put up on your mantle as your piece of artwork? Not necessarily cost-wise, but just a card that you would put up there that you're proud of the most so for me um again it's it's not it's a card that you know there's tons of them out there it's not the most valuable card but anybody who's like in my age bracket um and maybe even a little older the 1989 upper deck king griffey jr rookie card is just like like that was the card i've always said like i think that card I think it belongs on like a Mount Rushmore of sports cards. First of all, you can still pick one up under a hundred bucks. Like it's not something that's, you know, it's not some multi-million dollar super limited card. There's tons of them. I mean, there's enough out there that really anybody who wants one can go out and find one. But for people my age, like that was the card. He was one of the best players that we've all seen in our lifetimes. He is, he had this cool factor. I mean, I, I think I would almost venture to say he might be, might be the most universally liked athlete that we've seen in the last 30 years. Uh, I mean, I've never met anybody who has been like, Oh, I don't like King Griffey Jr. I just never, I've never heard one person say, say that they don't like King Griffey Jr. So he was cool. He made baseball cool. He played the game fun. He played a cool position. He was good at the plate. He was good in the field, hit home runs. Everybody liked him. And that card came out right at like the beginning of that late, 
you know, that like card boom that we saw in the early nineties, it changed the game because getting kind of into card nerd talk here, but like when that upper deck set came out, they made the cards on like better stock. They were on better paper. They were in foil wrappers. Like the, the, a pack was $1. Like this was unheard of at the time. So it changed the hobby. He was a player that changed the game. And people who don't even collect cards a lot of times have seen that card before. So it's it's a it's kind of a piece of not just not just sports memorabilia, but like cultural memorabilia too. See, so Ben Adams was uh, he kind of invited himself onto the podcast today, knowing that you were going to be on, and then he got a little bashful right before we were going to record it. I think he was concerned there would be too intense baseball card talk, and he didn't want to derail the podcast. I know so he was into it too. I we, we used to get chat about that. Yeah. And, and uh, one little footnote, you said Ken Griffey Jr. may be the most universally acclaimed athlete. I think you're forgetting about Jock Callender, but that's okay. We can move on. Uh, on to our signature. Although I think, I think, I think there were some, some fans around other markets in the IHL that weren't too crazy about Jock Callender, but that's because he was <laughs> such a dominant player. I, I suppose that's a fair point. That's a fair point. But uh, <laughs> moving along, time for our signature uh, segment here on the Monsters Eye View podcast presented by PropSwap. Nicole is going to take you through our shootout segment, so Three rounds, and uh, she will hit you with some quick hitter uh, questions here. And fire away, Nicole. Let's let's see what you got. Yeah, quick questions. You can take a second to think about it if you need to. But first one, um, past, present players, who would be your ideal player for you to interview? For me to interview, you're talking about players that I've worked with. It could be anyone. Well, could be could be anyone. Any player well, you can interview. So if I could talk to if I could talk to any player, I mean, I we kind of just just mention them. I'd love to just, I'd love to just sit down at a table and have a chat with Ken Griffey Jr. And Peyton Manning would be another one. I think I, I, you know, as guys that I've never had a chance to meet in my career, I'd love to sit down with them. Uh, if I, you know, another guy that came to mind, I, sorry, this is a quick hitter segment and sometimes I get long winded, <laughs> but if I, if you mentioned players, I like to interview the first thing at naturally the first working with the Florida Panthers, I thought to myself, who are players that, you know, first player that popped into my mind is uh, one of our defensemen, Mackenzie Weger. He's just a great conversation. Uh, he's a guy that's kind of developed into a star. I've had a chance to see him kind of go from call-up player to NHL regular to just a, a staple player for the Panthers here, and he's always a great conversation. So when you asked who a great interview is, uh, you know, being a being a Panther, I'm here in Florida right now, and and uh, he was one of the first guys that just popped into my mind. Good answers. The second one, it's also going to be a wide range, especially with your career. But what, in, at any level, has been your favorite rink you've ever called a game in? Favorite rink I've ever called a game in. Going to Joe Louis Arena was special for me because I grew up going to game. I grew up in Detroit, went to countless games in Detroit, always looked up at the press box when I was going to games there as a fan, as a kid, and just thought, huh, I wonder what, wonder what it's like up there. What's wonder what's going on up there. And my first two seasons with the Panthers, uh, the Red Wings were still playing at the Joe. So that was really special for me to be able to call, uh, call some games there. Okay. And last one, what is something you miss about Cleveland? And let's go like with the Cleveland area. There's so many things, honestly, you guys might laugh at this and I, I miss the seasons and the weather. I do miss the weather i know oh, it yeah no gorgeous. absolutely my first, man my, my last couple of seasons in cleveland like it got to be 15 below zero on multiple occasions and i love the sunshine and i love it believe me it is so convenient when you don't have to melt ice off your car and stuff like that you can just walk <laughs> outside in shorts all year round you don't have to think about what you're gonna wear that's great but the seasons were cool too so definitely uh, cherish those seasons that you guys have in cleveland i miss the you know all the great places to eat you know i i miss the atmosphere at uh, you know that we had 
it, that how much fun it was at the Monsters games and everything like that. Uh, you know, it was it was a really special place to be. But uh, getting back to what I said right off the top, uh, you know, I, I miss the people that I got to see on a daily basis there. So those are just some of the some of the things that uh, that stand out. But it's uh, it's a special place there in Cleveland. Not a day went by, and I can speak for the whether it was players that were even players that were sent down. People enjoyed their time in Cleveland. Like, everybody liked being there. We all knew that uh, we were very fortunate to be able to you know work for a sports team in a, a, a sports city like Cleveland. Uh, that was something that we all thought about every single day. And I'm sure all of you who are there still think about you know it's it's a special place. And uh, and I hope everybody knows that uh, you know all the great fans there, everybody who lives up there, everybody. It, it's it, people are proud to be from Cleveland. And uh, for those of us that weren't native Clevelanders, we were proud to be able to be in Cleveland for uh, for the time. That we well said oh, and well done. Great shootout segment. Well done, Doug. That was strong. Nicole, what do you think? I think that was one of the best ones we've had. Well, good stuff, man. And little, uh, I was a little long. I turned your I turned your shootout into like overtime or something. Continuous well, overtime a, in the playoffs. It's a deliberate pace. That's okay. You know, <laughs> you, you got the job done. So that's all that matters. And, you know, you, you wrap it up in a great spot there, Doug, because I, I can tell you my very first year with the Monsters, uh, with the fans at least, I took my lumps a little bit i had big shoes to fill with you and they certainly missed you and uh so let's just wrap it up with those fans because we know they're so passionate i mean like you know when people that haven't sort of made their way through cleveland think about the monsters think about cleveland maybe it doesn't get the credit it deserves as as a great hockey city but you know in my experience the fans have been just you know i've loved everywhere i've worked but the fans have just been so fantastic in cleveland supportive passionate dedicated devoted to the game and knowledgeable too so let's just wrap it up maybe with uh your your uh, a quick word back to the fans in Cleveland that I know were so supportive of you during your time with the Monsters. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. You'd come, I'd go to the arena every night, and you'd see familiar faces around, and you know people would people would say hi, and you know it, it was just a it was a really special place to be. That's just plain and simple. I, I can't say enough great things about the hockey fans in Cleveland, the sports fans in Cleveland. I still I find myself all the time, whether it's you know unsolicited in conversations or if I have to stand up and. and defend Cleveland a little bit because, uh, you know, I don't think Cleveland does get the credit it deserves uh, across the country. I find myself, uh, you know, singing the praises of Cleveland a lot. So, uh, yeah, I thanks to the fans, like I said, right from the beginning, uh, I was there four years and it was, you know, four of the best year. I knew at the time, it was, that was going to be one of the best times my whole career was there in Cleveland and uh, and the fans that were there and you know, they were a huge part of it. So huge thanks to all the all the Cleveland fans. I know I still hear from, uh, from a number of folks on Twitter uh, occasionally that chime in and uh, and it just means the world that uh, that the you know they still remember me there so um, so yeah it's just uh, it was a special place uh, you know it meant so much to my career to be there um, you know meant meant so much to me as a person to have spent time there and one of these days I got to make a trip back because I miss the place. Hey man, you're welcome anytime. Uh, thank you so much. That is the radio voice, the NHL's Florida Panthers, former Monsters voice. Follow him on Twitter at Doug Plagans. The great Doug Plagans, thank you so much, man, for joining us today and carving out some time on the Monsters Eye View podcast. Tony Nicole, thanks very much for having me and uh, happy to hop on anytime. All right. Uh, that is Doug Plagans, and that'll do it. We'll take a quick break and be back with more after this. It's the Monsters Eye View podcast presented by PropSwap. Well, that 
was great. Doug Plagans with a uh, wide-ranging uh, set of topics there as we're back in the Monsters ID podcast presented by PropSwap with Nicole Delvolano. I'm Tony Brown. Quick reminder here, folks. PropSwap is where America buys and sells sports bets. The football playoffs are here, and prop swappers are cashing in. Find the best odds on PropSwap when you buy directly from other bettors. Go to PropSwap.com or download the free PropSwap app today all right nicole uh let, let's just wrap it up there i mean we we covered it all with doug we talked about music we talked about uh sports uh cards trading cards not something i know a lot about so i learned a little bit there and uh, we even got to his very strong feelings on soup right so, uh, i'm glad we could cover that i can't say i'm on doug's side of the aisle in the soup debate but uh good stuff and that was a lot of fun it was a ton of fun it definitely the soup debate had me reevaluate my thoughts on soup just a little i he had some good points but yeah i'm along same lines as you i feel like i learned a lot in that conversation it was just it was a ton of fun we could have gone on forever we we really could have and uh we wrapped it up after we stopped recording there with a bunch of things i forgot to bring up with doug but g- good stuff there and uh thanks again to doug for taking the time um not just to catch up with us but to catch back up with the cleveland fans who i know meant uh he said as much meant a lot to him during his time the then lake erie monsters in cleveland and uh he certainly built a lot of relationships with the folks that come out and support the monsters each and every game so good stuff thanks again to doug plagans and uh you know thanks to you nicole another fun episode here let's keep it rolling along before long we'll be ready with episode number eight so uh thanks for all your hard work and uh here's to hoping the monsters on the road in rockford this weekend can keep Keep uh, accumulating some points in the standings and building towards what we hope is a playoff appearance. So thanks again, Nicole. Yeah, no, thank you. Looking forward to the next one. All right. That's Nicole Del Volano. I'm Tony Brown. This has been the Monsters I View podcast presented by PropSwap. Thanks again to Doug Plagans and thanks to all of you for listening. A reminder, uh, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That's where you can find the Monsters I View podcast presented by PropSwap. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Go Monsters. In the meantime, for Nicole Del Volano, I'm Tony Brown.